I have had it explained to me when talking about an eagle's eyesight that eagles have 2040 vision, or I'm sorry, 24 vision. And what that means is what a normal person, what they see at 20 feet, a normal person sees from four feet. Does that make sense? So an eagle has a much sharper vision, as well as not only what they're able to see in terms of distance, but also the, the intensity of color, the intensity of shape. Uh, also, they have a greater breadth of vision. You know, as I look here, I can kind of see the people over there, uh, but an eagle would be able to see beyond that. And so they have great vision. And this morning in James chapter 2, James deals with the idea of vision and how we see things. Uh, James chapter 1 and 2 are all about showing your faith. 3, 4, and 5 will do the same thing. Uh, James is the wisdom literature of the New Testament. In the Old Testament, you have uh, the Proverbs. In the New Testament, you have the book of James. And in its wisdom and in the attempt to uh, show your faith, in chapter 1 he says, show your faith in spite of all of the suffering that you might be going through. Count it all joy when you go through various temptations and trials. In chapter 2, he says, show your faith by your service, by your service. And we're going to deal specifically in verses 1 through 13 about how you see people. And how you see people, the kind of vision that you have when you look at someone, uh, that shows the faith that you possess. So if you have your Bibles, turn to James chapter 2. And we will look at James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, and learn four ways to properly look at people. Four ways to properly look at people. James, the author of this book, was the half-brother of Jesus. And he was known as Old Camel Knees. And the reason he was known as Old Camel Knees is because he spent so much time on his knees in prayer and devotion to God. And so he is the one that's addressing us with these kind of standards on how to properly show your faith and how you look at someone. So as you are a believer and as you are looking to demonstrate your faith or show it, you're going to look at people in certain ways. The first way is found in verses 1 through 4. In James chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, he says, See people as classless, without class. Not middle, upper, or lower, but just no class. Just see them that way. Verse 1, My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? See people as classless. Uh, What James does here is he's addressing believers And so the assumption as this is being delivered is that you have come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. You have come to the place where you are trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior, and therefore you are part of this family, part of this brotherhood and sisterhood. He says, my brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, you are believing in Jesus Christ, and so as a result, this is how you're going to see people. Uh, But you see, James uses the negative, right? 
he uses the bad illustration. He says, this is what you're doing, and you need to stop doing it. Uh, Someone, somewhere, in their gathering, was showing favoritism to the rich and not showing uh, favor to the poor. And so James comes to them and he says, you need to stop doing that. Because as a believer in Jesus Christ, you see people as classless. You don't see them as rich or poor. You see them as people. And uh, that's what James is uh, uh, attempting to do here. It's James's deep sense of devotion to God that motivates him to speak out. So as you listen to this and you see words like stop doing it or commands to listen and things like that, remember this is coming from a person that is very much aware and in love with Christ and very much aware and in love with the people of Christ, attempting to help them to understand what is best for them. This action of favoritism is all about respecting people, right? Uh, You show favor to them. Notice what he says beginning in verse 2. He says, there is a rich man with fine clothes and gold rings. Uh, Now, in Roman culture, gold rings meant everything. The more you had, the more wealth. It was obvious that you were wealthy. uh, And they would show them off. It wasn't like they were trying to hide it. In fact, Hannibal, who was uh, a great warrior from Carthage, uh, fought against the Romans. And whenever he would uh, kill a Roman soldier he would cut the Roman soldier's finger off and take his gold ring and put it in a basket. And once he had a bushel basket full of gold rings, he would send that back to Rome and say, this is what we think of you. Because it was so important to the Romans. And he says you have fine clothings. It was uh, the goal of those in Roman times to have garments that were, were clean and looked like they were you know, very expensive. And that's what he's talking about. This person has not only spent a lot of money on buying the material, but they have also maintained it. And they walk into your presence, they walk into your gathering, and you give them the place of honor. And then the other person who comes along, uh, they are dressed, but they are kind of dirty. Now it's interesting, the word that they use here is the word sordid. The attempt for the Romans was to take chalk and chalk their cloth so that it would be white and bright. Uh, But this person has through work and through a lack of expense and a lack of money, is unable to keep his clothing looking good, and so he looks sordid. And so they say to him, you go and sit over there somewhere else. It's all about distinction, the wealthy person versus the person who isn't so wealthy. And so we give the person that's wealthy the best seat up close, and the person who's not wealthy, we sit them in the back. I attended a church one time, and there was an usher, and he would often say, There's a tither. Sit him in the front. That's not the way the church is to look at them. Uh, James is saying, look at them as cat classless. Look at verse 3. In verse 3 he says, If you show special attention to that man wearing fine clothes and say, Here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, You stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? The choice here is obvious, right? We're showing favoritism. And James is saying, that's not the way you show your faith. The way you show your faith is to see people as people, not to see them in classes, not to see them as rich or poor. Uh, He uses this phrase here. He says, you are, uh, in verse 3, he says, you are discriminating among them. The idea of discriminating is you've you've got two minds going. You're double-minded. You need not be double-minded. 
You need to have one mind, and that mind is the mind of Christ that says, we welcome everyone equally. And James uh, instructs them to stop doing that. In verse 4 he says it's obvious that this is happening. Remember in 1 Samuel, when Samuel went to find a replacement for Saul, and he went to the house of Jesse, and Jesse got all of his sons, the big, strong, better-looking sons, and brought them together. And Samuel says, no, these aren't the right guys. He says, you see what's happening here? Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. You see, this is not anything really new. We are guilty of this, right? If I can share kind of a personal thing, this happened to me at Grace Chapel. We had been attending Grace Chapel since the beginning, and about eight or nine years ago, we were sitting, and a person came into Grace Chapel and I was like, they can't be here. That person cannot be here. Let me give you a little backstory. Uh, when I was in college, I played uh, college basketball, and we played against a team from Walsh College. And uh, my junior and senior year, that competition against Walsh College was probably the most fierce competition that I was a part of as a, a basketball player. Uh, and, you know, I played basketball when they used to have to put the ladder on, get the ball out of the peach basket, just to give you a frame of reference, right? My son says, Dad, did they have a jump ball after every time they scored a basket when you were in college? Uh, they didn't have the three-point line. That's how old it, it's been. But anyway, and the, the, and the, the reason for the, the competition between myself and Walsh College was because of the coach at Walsh. He was a very intense guy. He was a 26, 27-year-old guy. He was so intense. And I remember it was just, you know, that competitive thing. You wanted to beat them. And then all of a sudden, dial 30 years ahead, that guy walks into Grace Chapel. And I'm still living, you know, in 30 years ago. And this guy walks in with his wife, carrying a big cup of coffee. And he's standing there. And not only was he there... But then I went home and I called my friend who was my roommate in college. And I said, you'll never believe who came to church today. And when I told him, he says, so what? I said, are you kidding me? Walsh, don't you remember? It was awful. I said, he can't be at the church that I go to. And he goes, hey, everybody needs Jesus. So little Jesus will do him good. That was Bob Huggins. You can imagine how animated he was as a 27-year-old when you see him now as a 62-year-old on the sideline of West Virginia. It was tough, but I got over it. But that's how we're wired, isn't it? We're wired to look at the outside of someone, and we react to what we see. And James is saying, well, when you react, don't react with favoritism. Don't look at them and see a class. Don't look at them and see rich or poor. Look at them and see people. And so the the way that we show our faith is we show our faith uh, by uh, looking at people classlessly. You know, I think that uh, in light of the events of this past couple of weeks with Alton Spencer and all of these other things, I think we could even uh, allow this text to expand its purview to, to look at people colorlessly, right? Don't look at color. James is trying to say you are people of faith. When you look at people, don't see class. Just see the people that are there. The second thing that he tells us about seeing and our eyesight is he says in, in verses 5 through 7, he says, see people as Christ sees them. See people as Christ sees them. Look at verse 5. He said, listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have insulted the poor. 
Is it not the rich who are exploiting you, and they are not, and are they not the ones who are dragging you into the court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? Again, James says, see people as Christ sees them. In verse 5, he says, listen. It's another command. It's another imperative. And oftentimes, whenever you, you give a command or you, you see that, you think, well, who does James think that he is? Well, uh, James was thought of so highly that the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 2 includes him as one of the pillars of the church, along with Peter and John. So James is, is pretty well thought of and a pretty dedicated person. And not only that, but he says, listen, my dear brothers. He again appeals to us as believers. And he says, when you see people, see them as Christ sees them. Uh, He says, these poor people are ones for whom Christ died. Uh, He says that they are the ones that will be rich in faith and they will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, please don't make the mistake here of thinking, well, you know, only poor people get to heaven and rich people go to hell. That's not what he's saying. He's using an analogy here to try to help you understand that, you know, when you treat someone uh, differently because of the way they look, You're treating a person for whom Christ died differently, and you need to stop doing that. That's the point of what he's saying. He's not trying to say that rich or poor are better. He's just showing us an analogy that whenever you treat someone poorly, you're treating someone for whom Christ died poorly. He says they are the ones that are rich in faith. They are going to inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, He promised those who love him. You see, if the the poor are willing to love Christ, then he embraces them, right? He gives them the opportunity for salvation. And so too should we embrace those uh, because Christ died for them. We see people as Christ sees them. We don't look at a man's class, but we look at the fact that Christ died for them. In verses 6 and 7, he kind of evaluates the rich with two questions. He says in verse 7, He says, are they not the ones who are exploiting or slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? He says, are they not the ones who are slandering? You see, here you have placed, in this context, you have placed rich people in a position of prominence, yet those are the rich people that are slandering the name of Christ. So how can you treat them with special attention? He's saying you need to stop doing that. He says they are the ones that are slandering, showing that there is this this bitter religious hostility between the rich and those in the church, but yet those in the church have elevated them to a position of prominence. And James says, please stop doing that. Instead, he says, see them as Christ sees them. Uh, Don't allow them to exploit you and then put them on a position of prominence or give them a pedestal. Instead, see them as Christ sees them. The name of Christ or the name Christian carries with it the responsibility to look at others as Christ looked at them, as Christ loved them and died for them. Remember who you are and don't act partially. I am a believer in Jesus Christ, and so therefore I am not going to set someone else in a higher position. Instead, I'm going to see them as the ones for whom Christ died. Uh, We have talked about this before, uh, in fact, last year. It was this time last year in July that uh, nine people were shot and killed in the uh, historically black church in Charleston, South Carolina, by Dylan Roof. And if you remember, uh, the people, the victims' families, then faced off with Dylan Roof. And you remember what they said to him? As they walked past, they said, we forgive you. 
we forgive you. And Charleston became a non-story. Charleston became something the, the media packed up and left. Because where's the story? There was no story. Because the victims of the, the murder, those ones that had been murdered, their families treated Dylan Roof as one for whom Christ died. And the story was over. You see, relationships change. Relationships are different when we look at people and realize Christ died for them. And so if Christ died for them, shouldn't I treat them better than what I'm treating them? Allowing our eyes to see people as ones for whom Christ died. The third way to see people is found in verses 8 through 11. He says, see people with compassion. See people with compassion. Look at verse 8. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have broke, uh, become a lawbreaker. The royal law, uh, this law that is very important, love your neighbor as yourself. Show compassion. Show compassion. Uh, that's how we want to see people. We want to see people in a compassionate way. Uh, we love them as neighbors. We love them as ourselves. We, we, we love these people. We show compassion. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to uh, see your child's uh, athletic coach with the eyes of compassion? Instead of the guy who's not giving them enough playing time. Are you allowing your eyes to, to be eyes of compassion when you uh, see your neighbor who continuously parks on your, your lawn instead of parking in the street? Eyes of compassion. Uh, that's what James is talking about. Love your, your neighbors as yourself. Uh, allowing them to uh, understand how important it is. Now, here's the thing that happens here. And this is where uh, Jeff has said, you know, if James were here in 21st century America and he came and started preaching, he would empty the churches. And this is probably one of the things that he's talking about. Notice what James does here. He says, uh, but if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. That's not 21st century language. Instead, if you show favoritism, let's examine your past. Maybe there's a reason for something in your past that causes you to show favoritism, so let's deal with that. James says, no, that's a sin. Stop doing it. You're convicted as a lawbreaker. James wants them to understand that this is very important, that we see people compassionately, not with favoritism. You see, the whole idea here is to try to help us to understand that whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles at one point is guilty of everything. So you say, well, you know what, I'm doing really well in this one area, but favoritism, sorry, I haven't fixed that yet. James is saying you don't get to selectively choose which part of the law you're going to listen to and you're going to obey. You have children, many of you, and whenever you give them instructions, you expect them to do what you've told them to do. Your child does not sit there and say, okay, let's see now, I'm supposed to go to bed. I'm supposed to go to bed at 8.30, and I'm supposed to go to bed without kicking and screaming and crying. Okay, wait a minute, let's fix this here. I'll go to bed, but it's going to be 8.45. You're going to bring me a drink of water, and I'm going to kick and scream until I get my drink of water. Right? I mean, that's kind of what James is saying here. 
James is saying you don't get to selectively choose which part of the law or which part of this you get to do and want to obey. Instead, you obey it all. Because if you choose to ignore part of it, then you are guilty of all of it. So James is trying to help us to understand that we want to show compassion to those with whom we have contact. The fourth way to see men and women in order to show our faith is to, show, uh, is to see them with eyes controlled by mercy. Look at verse 12. He says, Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. See men with eyes controlled by mercy. Verse 12, he says that as a Christian, I am to understand that I am going to be judged mercifully. God is going to judge me mercifully because of Christ. And so therefore, I want to judge others mercifully. Uh, I, I think that uh, we have uh, mentioned this before, but at present I am uh, a school teacher. That's what my full-time job is. Uh, before being a school teacher, I spent 10 years in pastoral ministries. And one of the things that was most difficult for me in pastoral ministries was marriage counseling. And the reason why it was so hard is because whenever there was conflict, uh, the spouses did not want to show mercy. They wanted somebody to pay, you know. Whether it was a wife or a husband, they wanted somebody to pay for what they had gone through. They were not interested in mercy. And, and I'm not the, saying I'm a great, merciful guy. I'm just saying it was so hard to watch two people at such odds with each other that they wanted to do harm to each other. Uh, you know, and usually standing between that was, was not a very pleasant thing. But James is saying, listen, when you see people, make sure you see them through eyes that are controlled by mercy. Uh, God is going to show us mercy. God is going to judge us by mercy. And uh, so therefore we see others mercifully. Uh, The idea here is uh, we have mercy. We have pity. We show kindness to those. Uh, Mercy sees a a person's condition and a person's need. Uh, Mercy is not giving someone what they deserve. Uh, We want to be merciful. Uh, A truly regenerate Heart, a truly a heart that knows what Christ has done for them, is willing to share mercy to others. It's a very difficult thing, and I'm not trying to, to say that it's easy, but it's necessary. It's necessary for us to take the mercy that God is going to show to us and share that with those around us. Uh, uh, having eyes controlled by mercy saves us from a lot of things. This morning, James chapter 2, James helps us to understand how our eyesight is. How our eyesight is. Do you see people as classless, not rich, not poor? Do you see people as Christ sees them? Christ died for them. Are you willing to love them? Do you see people with compassion? Love your neighbor as yourself. Do you see people with eyes controlled by mercy? God will judge us mercifully. Are you willing to judge those around you with that same kind of Mercy. I think James helps us to understand how important it is to show our faith in how we see the people around us. Uh, in May 7th, 1915, uh, the Lusitania was sailing to England. It was it had sailed from New York. And there was an ad in the paper warning people not to get on board the Lusitania because the Germans had their underwater boats and they were going to attempt to sink all boats passenger or otherwise 
because it was the belief of the Germans that the Americans were smuggling uh, weapons and explosives and things to England under the cover of passenger ships. And sure enough, that's what happened. Uh, the Lusitania was, was hit and sunk by a German submarine. Uh, about 1,200 people died uh, as a result of that sinking. 127 were Americans, and 27 of those 1,200 were children. In the end, when uh, the people were, were listed, they were listed in two categories. It did not matter if you were a first-class passenger or if you were a stowaway. You were only listed in two ways. You were listed as saved or lost. That's how you were listed. In fact, uh, Theodore, Theodate Pate was a female architect who was on the Lusitania heading back home, and she survived the sinking of the Lusitania. And when she uh, finally got her senses enough around her to send a telegram home, she put one word on the telegram to her mother, and that word was saved. Saved. You see, in the end, with people, it's all about those that are saved and those that are lost. And we need to see people with eyes that understand, are they saved or are they lost? If they're saved, they're my brothers. If they're lost, I need to make them my brothers in Christ. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for what you have given us in your word. Allow your words from scripture to fill our hearts and minds and to give us what we need to honor you as we go through this week in dealing with people. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.